So this is our first recorded episode of the podcast. How are you feeling? Yeah, it's very exciting. Cheeky looking at the camera. <laughs> I know, I feel a bit nervous, a bit more self-conscious. Yeah, well there's now two things going on. Instead of I this know. mic staring at us, we've got that as well. <laughs> normally I'd be like picking my nose or <laughs> just <laughs> wriggling in my chair, but I feel like I've got to be a bit more conscious of my body movements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some things you're doing a lot worse that we can't put on camera. So Try and relax. <laughs> this is also our first film topic box because we've done topic boxes in the past. And I've done musical ones, but this is a film one. And for those who don't know, it's mainly random questions that focus on a particular topic. So we've actually found some really interesting film questions that we can dive into. And I'm sure we're going to go off on some tangents as well. So my first question to you would be, do you watch the same film more than once? And if yes, why? Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say I'm big on rewatches. I try and watch as many new films as I can. I think on Letterboxd, my most rewatched film is maybe four times, which is Klaus, which is a Christmas film, so obviously every Christmas I do watch it, maybe once or twice. But yeah, I don't really rewatch films that often because I do like to explore new avenues and find new things. But I think. I don't know, remember which reviewer said you've never properly seen a film until you've seen it twice, which I think is very telling, because often on the first watch you're missing out on a lot of the messages and not picking up on how the film's made as well, and you might be expecting something something else. We talked about book-to-film adaptations on the first watch. You're often quite disappointed because you had a certain image in your head. So the second watch is really the first time you've watched it. Yeah. you've really, like... Yeah, you know what to expect and you're just going in with an open mind. Yeah. That's a good point. And can you think of examples? Because now I think of films where I watch them maybe once, particularly maybe a horror film or something that's quite disturbing. And one of the things I have in mind is a film called Room uh, with Brie Larson, where it's very traumatic experience, the whole film. And I don't actually ever want to see that again. So <laughs> there is the question is, do you watch the same film more than once? But can you think of any films that are almost made for one viewing and then you don't need to return to it? Well, yeah, that's a good example of one. I think films that are so traumatic and depressing and grim, it feels like you don't really want to go back to them. So, yeah, it's a strange one because I talked about how films are maybe a bit more complex and full of meaning you'd want to come back to, but the films I often rewatch are comfort films, so like Marvel, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, animated films, and they're the ones I normally come back to more than once. Not because I think I'll gain anything more from it, but if I'm having a bad day or I'm feeling down or it's rainy, it's what I want to go to for, yeah, a bit of an uplifting time. But, yeah, as you said, depressing films aren't much fun to watch again. I would agree as well. There's so many comfort films that I, I watch, particularly the trilogies or things like Star Wars and Harry Potter where I was growing up with them. But at the same time, I do want to try and force myself to, to watch a lot of new films as well. So... Do you find, I mean, we spoke about this briefly a couple of episodes ago, but do you find yourself having to kind of force yourself sometimes to access new content? And do you find it difficult to watch new films? Because you are a film student, so it should be really good or really good for you to watch new stuff. But even with music, I find it so difficult to click on that new song. Yeah, definitely. So how is it like for you getting into a new film? Yeah, when I go to watch a film... I instantly go to watch something that I previously enjoyed 
because it is a yeah safety blanket like you know you love that film you know you'll get some enjoyment out of it it's an easy choice and if you've had a long day at work you don't really want to sit down with an art house like phone language film you just want to watch <laughs> pixar again so it is like quite a effort to pick up a new film and watch it but i force myself to because if i'm just watching the same thing over and over then there's so much i'm missing out on yeah, and I don't want to make things too difficult, but let's try and get some examples in here as well. So can you think of any film that you've watched that you've really benefited? For example, uh, before I go on to you, an example for me would be something like Inception or maybe Tenet on a second viewing. I imagine that I'd enjoy that more because particularly with Nolan films, I think you do need a second viewing yeah. to understand what's going on. So yeah, what, what's an example for you where you've rewatched it a second or third time and thought, wow, that's actually much better or I've realised something that I didn't notice the first time around? Yeah, uh, we were talking about Synecdoche, New York, on our last five, which is a very grim film, very bleak, but it's so thematically dense and, yeah, so littered with little details and things you can pick up on that I think after ten watches you probably won't get it all. So that's one that I not necessarily enjoy, but want to keep coming back to because it is like a massive puzzle that you kind of want to figure out, really. Other films... Uh, Birdman was a good one to rewatch. I think the first time I watched that, I didn't really get it necessarily. I appreciated the long one take, but I didn't really pick up on the subtext of the casting of Michael Keaton and that how it is an allegory for his career having been Batman and just kind of being a bit washed up as an actor and his redemptive story and how that's mirrored in the film and I didn't really pick up on that on the first watch and once I'd read up about it and then went back to it I was like oh yeah that is really smart and I really liked it on the second viewing. But should films yep. be <laughs> should films be more accessible in terms of when you watch it on a first viewing, you understand everything and you really engage with it rather than having to watch it a second time? Not at all. Okay. Yeah, it really depends on the film. But I hate like when audience say, I didn't enjoy it because it confused me. Mm. That isn't a criticism. Like <laughs> It really isn't. To say a film confused you, if it was intentional, then, yeah, it's part of the filmmaker's, like ploy like he wants to create a puzzle for you to come back to and try and figure out like there's a lot of films that are unintentionally confusing because the film's poorly made like poorly structured the narrative's not very well conveyed but like Jordan Peele's Nope you're not supposed to understand every bit of that on the first viewing I think your mate Frank was a bit confused by it yeah and yeah I love that I don't want to know everything that's going on on the first watch I want to keep coming back and picking up on more messages. No, you're completely right. And I, I sometimes fall victim to that because I think coming out of something like June, which is an incredible spectacle, but there was quite a few things I didn't understand and I reacted a bit negatively towards that. Um, whereas things like Nope, I didn't understand a lot of it, but I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it, it is strange. I think it's the headspace you're in and what you expected out of the film. Like Obviously, I don't want to go into Top Gun Maverick <laughs> expecting some sort of mind-bending puzzle. I just want to see straightforward action, a nice, clear story, clear motivations. That's all I want. If I went into Top Gun Maverick and it started 
trying to like bend the rules and like sending me in different directions. I'm like, no, yeah, straight up action film. Yeah, stick to your guns. You like flew into an alternate dimension. Yeah, so yeah, it depends on what you want or expect out of a film. Yeah. So, on the other hand, I can think of films that, particularly that I've shown you, where I remember really enjoying it from the first or second viewing when I was younger. But things have changed. My tastes have changed, or maybe just time and culture have changed the way we make films so it hasn't been as good on a rewatch and again I don't want to shit on these films too much but it's all the American comedies that I was watching when I was a teenager and re-watching most of them with the exception of Meet the Parents more recently I enjoyed that but there there is quite a few now where I look back and think right I only probably like that because I was either a a teenager or that was my taste mm. and so there is going to be films like that can you think of examples where you've watched it on the first viewing and then it's actually rather than elevated it on further viewings you've kind of been less into it and you've not been impressed yeah this is a concept we call spectatorship and it's to do with the film viewings all based on your own personal experiences and the films you've watched so obviously if there's a five-year gap between one viewing and the second viewing so much has happened in between then you've watched hundreds of films you've gone through so many different life experiences developed as a person so the person you are on the first viewing is totally different to the person you are on the second viewing. So, of course, your opinion's not going to stay the same. Yeah, I'm thinking of films, obviously, yeah, comedies. I used to love Grown Ups <laughs> when I was 12. Like, the first, yeah, the two Grown Ups films I thought <laughs> were really funny. Oh, no. But, yeah, revisiting them, <laughs> like, five years later, I'm like, these are god-awful. Mm. Like, my humour's just got so differently. I used to really like that slapstick, juvenile... Yeah, comedy. Yeah, I used to think that was like really funny watching someone throw up or yeah, crash into a wall. <laughs> that used to be my sort of humour, but now I kind of like dry, deadpan type of humour, like in the thick of it or something like that. So my tastes have totally changed. So I no longer like that film. And yeah, I can't think of many on the spot, but... It seems to be a lot of comedies. Like, that seems to be the one that changes... Your taste change the most. Yeah, humour's so specific. Like, film to film, like, the humour they're trying to approach is so different to each other. Like, Meet the Parents is totally different from, like, Hot Fuzz. But they are technically classed as humour. And I think a lot of spectacle films on a second watch aren't as good. Like, you go to the cinema to watch a new Star Wars... And you're just blown away by all the visual effects and all the spectacle of it and just fun day out. And then you go and watch it on your crappy little TV with a little surround sound that isn't that good. Mm. <laughs> and you're suddenly, the spectacle's gone, you just focus on the story. And that's when everyone goes, oh, these aren't that good. Like, I still like Rogue One, but when I saw it in IMAX, I was like, this is my favourite Star Wars, this is so amazing. Then I watched it at home and I was like, yeah, it's good. Mm. it's not great it's alright so yeah those spectacle films massive jump when you watch at home yeah you're so right I didn't think of that the amount of times I've been to the cinema and gave a film really good rating because it's part of everything that's involved even when I've been to an outdoor cinema that's the same thing if not more because it's such a special experience and that was why when I saw recently went to the cinema to see Don't Worry Darling the fact that you saw that at cinema yes I didn't know that <laughs> the fact that I didn't like it just goes to show imagine if I Was watched that bad? in normal I really disliked yeah. it yeah I have to say maybe I heard a few things going into the film 
and I just felt that apart from Florence Pugh, who is she's amazing, a God, yeah, yeah absolutely such brilliant an actress. actress. But apart from that, it was a very disjointed story. I even found myself, look, I know I'm not a film student, but I found myself looking at some of the editing and just the pacing of the film. Mm, and yeah. while I'm not an expert, I felt that it wasn't wasn't that great. No. Yeah. And I think now we're moving into the streaming age, there's a bit of a disconnect between the theatre and home experience. They've kind of, like, collided almost. Like, I watched Blonde at home recently, and I think if I saw that in the cinema, I'd kind of be blown away by all the... Yeah, visual trickery and the audio, and I don't know, I might have enjoyed it a lot more if I'd seen it at the cinema. But that, I was just at home, sitting on my sofa, and just with a critical eye. I hated the film. I thought it was (laughs) god-awful. So, yeah, I wasn't bamboozled by all the, yeah, cinema experience. So let's talk about that for a second, because it's happening a lot, particularly since COVID, where either Netflix or even Disney now are releasing their live action remakes or Netflix are releasing their originals sometimes <clears throat> sometimes at the same time as that it's released in cinema and I think well generally an audience is not going to choose the cinema over probably a free film at home yeah there's only going to be a, a certain amount of people so could you tell me a why they might be doing that and b if it actually works. I mean, is there any positives behind releasing on Netflix and Disney as well as the cinema? Yeah, the main reason they are doing that is because releasing it into theatres is an inherent risk. Like, this has been the same from the start of cinema in that you're, you have to put out a big marketing campaign, you've got to release it in thousands of cinemas and hopefully draw a big enough audience to make your money back, which is very rare. Films that go into cinemas very rarely make their money back. It's normally on DVD sales and selling it off to streaming services and where they make the money back. Because, yeah, if you've got a $250 million budget, you need a lot of people to go and see the film. Like, we normally say you have to double your money because, like, you'd spend another $250 million on marketing. So you'd need to make at least $500 million to make any money back, which is a massive amount. So, yeah, there is a safety around just putting it on Disney Plus and hopefully attracting people to the streaming service. And there's less pressure on the film to be good. Is that something you're, that excites you, the fact that more films are being released? Particularly, I'm sure you might be able to correct me, but The Little Mermaid, if it hasn't been released yet, or I'm thinking of Pinocchio, that was released on Disney at the same time yeah. at cinema. So, look, I don't like the live-action remakes anyway, but surely something as big as that just being released at the same time on Disney... Does that worry you, or are you just okay with like the future of films being released onto that in that way? I don't want to be on the fence, but I am on the fence. <laughs> like, Terrible. <laughs> streaming services have allowed great avenues for independent filmmakers. Like, if you're making an independent film, the chances you'll get released in cinemas and make a lot of money is incredibly small. But there's a chance it can go onto Netflix and build like a cult following and get seen by thousands of people because so many people are subscribed so it's good in that sense but there are these big spectacle movies like i think the new knives out is just going straight to netflix i'm like no i want to see that in the cinema with other people that is what i want to see that film and yeah that is kind of sad i think there'll always be a market for cinema films like i don't think that's going away entirely 
it just complicates the relationship, definitely. Well, particularly in the UK, from my experience, that's such a motive. Like, just going to the cinema with a group of friends, or even on your own, like, it's quite an enjoyable evening. Mm. So I don't think, you know, there's been, over the last few years of what I can remember, there's been a lot of talk about that, about maybe less people going to the cinema than maybe the 70s and 80s. But I think, with, with for example, with View Cinema, I actually really rate what they're doing, because there's one in Kirkstall, which isn't too far from us, that the tickets are mainly six ninety nine, mm. and you get recliner seats. Yeah, and it's really nice in that's there. That's a bargain, really. That's unbelievable, and that's going to get people out to the cinema. Cineworld, on the other hand, I don't want to, um, what's the word? Label them yeah. out, Bash but them. they are constantly do really expensive tickets. I think sometimes they have maybe a two for Tuesdays or something like that. But I think something like View is really like stepping forward and I've been to View a lot in the last year and I've really enjoyed it. I think it's an interesting turning point for cinemas in that they do have to adapt and develop. Like they can't just plainly show films anymore because that market's gone. Like if films are being newly released onto Netflix, they've already lost that game. Like they need to add a bit more to the experience, like making tickets cheaper, making the food they're selling cheaper maybe making it into a nicer experience, maybe a fancier experience with, like, dining or some sort of extra, like, package to it. <laughs> so in the back in the day, in the 30s, going to the cinema was, like, a fancy night out. Like, you went with your parents and your family, it was, like, a big deal. So I think we need to go kind of back to that, where it is, like, a a nice, yeah, more of an experience than just seeing a film. Yeah, I mean, can you think of, off the top of your head, like, can you think of anything that you can add for example, there's some cinemas that have really comfy, like sofas or even sofa beds or bean bags. <laughs> sofa beds. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of you really relax because recliners are one thing, but if you're laying in a bed, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah, just making you... it comfier, making it yeah more enjoyable experience. Because some cinemas I go to, it's just a cramped little seat <laughs> like that. You're surrounded by yeah other people chomping popcorn, and you're just like. I kind of wish I was at home, but yeah, making it just kind of more relaxed and a nicer place to go to, making it cleaner for a start. Like a lot of cinemas I go to are quite grubby and gross and just sitting around with like sticky popcorn on the floor. You're like, this isn't that nice. Like make it a bit more fancy, I guess, high so class. That brings back memories. I don't know if I mentioned, obviously I worked at View yeah, Cinema did, a few yeah. years ago and it's unbelievable because obviously you, you go a lot and sometimes you walk out and it's messy, right? And you, you yeah. can see that. It's unbelievable how messy it can get sometimes. And you think, well, this is what people do when it's dark and they've got sweets and popcorn and drinks, like spillages, just leaving all sorts of things there. And it's a bit like, come on. Like, we shouldn't be yeah, leaving I don't that wanna, much there. Yeah, I'm not trying to point out that the staff should be cleaning it better. <laughs> like, they should be doing a better job. I mean, like, audience members as well be more respectful. Make clean it, up. <laughs> make it a nicer experience for everyone. Like, don't talk on your phone just be respectful for the whole experience. So everyone's complicit in making the cinema experience nicer. Great. While I remember as well, spoilers. Now, obviously that completely can ruin a film. And particularly if it's a really important spoiler, like something that would spoil Fight Club, for example, hmm. or The Sixth Sense. You know, those absolutely imperative things that you don't know going into the film because it almost makes the film. What is your experience with spoilers? Can you think of any time that, you know, do you try and stick away from them, stay away, or do you, can you think of any time that you've actually seen a spoiler 
for a film? Yeah, if it's a film I really want to see, like a big franchise film that I've been waiting like years for almost, I do like consciously try to avoid social media as much as possible. Like when Spider-Man No Way Home came out, I was just like not on Instagram, not on YouTube <laughs> for at least a week leading up because I was that, <laughs> that vigilant about not being spoiled. But yeah, I'm not crazy about like getting spoiled like it wouldn't ruin my entire experience I don't think like I appreciate a lot more things than just the story and the outcome but I yeah I don't want to be spoiled necessarily (laughs) yeah because I I can think of a lot of movie reviewers like Jeremy Johns or is that how you say his name um John (laughs) I don't know and there's a lot of times where you see a review and then a spoiler free free review so I think it seems quite important to a lot of people and it is particularly if it's something in the marvel universe yeah something that might be quite big but i guess a lot of films don't really technically have spoilers either you know there's not going to necessarily be spoilers on that yeah how much you don't want to hear about it Mm. like if you don't want to hear any plot points it's kind of hard to avoid talking about like i know there's some films that i wish like i didn't know anything about going in like nope i didn't even want to know that was about some sort of ufo type alien like i just didn't want to hear that (laughs) but somehow it got to me before i saw the film so you kind of have to just take on the chin sometimes yeah and we've spoken about expectation before and so sometimes if you see too much hype around things whether that be something like nope and it doesn't deliver or if you don't see that much expectation like everything everywhere all at once and it just comes out and you go and see it and it's incredible but then as reviewers have said, the problem is it gets built up too much and then that beauty of the film isn't quite as much when you mm. go to see it. Um, I mean, I saw Avatar about eight years later after it came out. So I, I just had a lot of people always going, oh, you should see that film, it's amazing. So when I came to it, it's obviously very good, but it's doesn't not as breathtaking as it probably you was. You weren't like, watching it in the zeitgeist. Like, yeah. Exactly. You were out of the loop a bit. Yeah, and I watched it at home even though I know it's being re-released I'm going to see an IMAX definitely because I never got to see it in cinemas I was seven I think (laughs) so I want to see it in IMAX before the new one comes out yeah I'm sure you could do a double bill where you you know they did that for they've done that for a a few films Top Gun a good example recently Mm. where they at particular cinemas they showed Top Gun and then Top Gun Maverick with a small interval in between yeah I wouldn't like that (laughs) (laughs) I think that'd be a bit much like they're nearly three hour long films Mm. (laughs) I'd get a bit sick of that I think. So let's. Uh, we spent a long time on that. I know. On that first question, <laughs> kind of got involved in, in other, other things. There. The next question is: Do you think action films are bad for children? <laughs> Ooh, no. <laughs> Obviously, as simple as that. <laughs> simple as that. Obviously, don't show your kids some like gory, eighteen like plus. 18 plus 18 is the highest rating <laughs> some gory like action that's a scary film action, <laughs> action film because like that's a bit inappropriate like I remember watching a couple of films that I was probably a bit too young to see and those like images were kind of scarred in my mind <laughs> what's an example I don't know I don't think I was actually shown the films but I was like flicking through the channels late at night one of the weird ones I watched was like a film about Elizabeth the first when I was just like six or something like that and I was just flicking through the channels and there was like a scene where like a character gets stabbed in the mouth and shot and I remember going to my room and just like nearly freaking out like 
something that I hadn't seen before. It was just kind of visceral. But obviously action is a lot of fun and yeah, just follow the guidelines of the age ratings. I hate like critics that say it's like brainwashing the kids. Like obviously <laughs> kids don't watch an action film and go out and shoot someone. Like that's not how <laughs> brains work. Like we know it's fiction, we know it's made up. Tarantino's like a big supporter of like violent action because it's fun. Like it's not real, is it? Like we can make the distinction, we're not apes. But for a child, is there any negative impacts about them seeing something like Django or something with... Well, that's what I'm saying, films? just do it based on the age rating. Yeah. I'd say a three-year... I always do the three-year rule. So if you're 12, you should be able to watch 15s. And if you're 15, you should be able to watch 18s. That's kind of how I do it. Because I think once you're 12, you're old enough to watch 15s. Great, yeah. Yeah. So my experience is I I was a bit of a scaredy cat growing up. So I remember, (laughs) and I still am. um, I remember a few times. uh, One of the times I was really young, I watched The Ring. Um, That's not an action film, but... No, no, that's true. (laughs) I had a bit of action in, but it's... I mean, The Ring's terrifying, and it involves... uh, One of the scariest bits involves something something coming out the TV. Yeah. And I had nightmares for a long time after that. Mm. Um, With regards to another film that really scared me, which you might find a bit odd, it's Casino Royale. Casino Royale? Yeah. And so I... James Bond. I was a scaredy cat. (laughs) Yeah, very scaredy cat. (laughs) I went to the cinema uh, with my mum at the time. At the time? She was my mum at the time. (laughs) And I can't remember how old I was. Maybe around nine or ten. Two thousand six. I was ten. Year ten. Yeah, that is quite a bad film for a ten-year-old. And I think that deserves a fifteen rating. Yeah, I mean yeah. because we'd and obviously growing up, I'd watched a lot of James Bond films that were really good, but quite quite fun and cheesy and light. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And then I go to this film with my mum. We don't know much about it. And there's uh, a torture scene. Mm. There's a scene with a knife. There's a scene. There's a lot of quite adult adult themes there particularly the casino but I wasn't scared of that mm. um, but I actually remember like crying in the cinema and my mum was really annoyed she said why is this James Bond like this now that I'm older Casino Royale is a brilliant film yeah but I think that sometimes maybe things like that particularly when it's torture torture is a big one when when you're a child and you Even see someone getting tortured implied yeah because I think they got around the 15 rating by saying oh we don't actually show anything Okay. But it doesn't matter because it's like implied. Like it is quite a graphic scene. Like you feel like that punches like to his genitalia. <laughs> so it doesn't matter that we can't actually see it. Like for a little kid, it's exposing them to something dark and new. And I think the main problem is the age classification system is very flawed. Like it is in like every country really. Because what they deem as inappropriate is just like kind of just bullshit because <laughs> especially in to do with romances and like yeah rom-coms because there was this big problem in the states in that if it was a straight rom-com like with a man and a woman it'd get a lot lower rating like it'd get a 12 or 15 for the same content as if it was like a gay romance that would get an 18 just because it was two gay people do you think that shows like a bit of the homophobia? Yeah, in just bigotry because mm. it is mainly just old white men who control the classifications, and they're the controllers of what they deem is appropriate or inappropriate, and it's often based on very Christian morals. So anything to do with like homosexuality, or drug use, or anything they deem that's not appropriate within Christianity is often given like a very extreme rate, like an eighteen. 
when it probably doesn't deserve it, when something like quite brutal torture, that isn't really linked to their religious or moral beliefs. So that probably get 12. So it's just really just a flawed system across the board. Yeah, that's interesting. I can think of quite a few films that's got like a heavy drug use. Or it's, it, it says, you just know, just like 15. a line of cocaine is like 18. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going, you can't see that. It's just like probably soul. Like, it's, mm. if I was a 10 year old and I saw someone sniff cocaine, that wouldn't affect me whatsoever. Like, I wouldn't understand it. But if I saw somebody get punched really hard in the face and there's blood coming out, that'd like be quite, yeah, shocking to me. Yeah, cl- classification is really interesting, particularly mm. like, well, if we think to the UK films and I think back at how it's changed over the years because. If I'm right in thinking Jaws was actually 18 when it was released in cinemas. I'm not sure about that. I'm, I don't know. Okay. No, I, I wouldn't think so. Because okay. my mum and her brother went to see it when they were like 10. Fair. They might have snuck in, I don't know. But <laughs> I feel like it might have been easier to do that. It was definitely bigged up as a lot more adult and mature than we'd probably think of it as now. And films like The Exorcist actually being banned in a lot of places. Because obviously... Our we get exposed to way more and nowadays we're kind of sensitised to that sort of thing. So classification is very subjective and obviously you've just kind of got to judge on a personal basis what you might find shocking or offensive and kind of navigate your film viewing experience through that. Let's talk about banned films because that I went through a period a few years ago of trying to access, not trying to watch necessarily, but trying to read up on some of these banned films. Hmm. And I'm a, I remember one which we've spoken about before, which is filmed mainly on a beach. And you might be able to, rem- when I start explaining what happens, um, there was a f- definitely a few cases of animals actually being murdered. Yeah, cannibal holocaust. Cannibal, cannibal holocaust, that's the one. And... There was animals being murdered, there was uh, reports of actual death and rape like actually happening. Mm. And when you see clips of the film, and I probably wouldn't advise you to go and watch some, it is pretty terrifying. What, yeah. How do you know about that film? How, what have you seen about it? Well, it is, yeah, very infamous in the film community because it did create such like outrage when it came out. Because, yeah, as you said, there are real animal deaths in it. Like, they actually killed animals. And you see stuff like tortoises being like chopped open which obviously should never happen like there's a lot of more animal rights nowadays and yeah no animal should put be put in danger for a film in terms of the human deaths that was just kind of blown out of proportion that never happened that was just kind of like the news jumping on the bandwagon but yeah you can access this film nowadays i've seen it on blu-ray and hmv so that kind of shows how we've progressed like it is kind of like a time capsule nowadays but yeah. Do you think in that sense, do you think anything should be... Firstly, obviously, it's always difficult here because you think, well, who who makes that decision of banning it? You know, mm. what kind of committee, what kind of person would, would ban it? Obviously, sometimes it's with good intentions. But can you think of any example where you think, yeah, 100% that film should be deleted from all files that should never exist? In terms of the content of a film, I would never ban a film. But it's more in the practice of making it. If... In making the film, they broke laws, they endangered human life, they killed animals, for example. If the practice was a lot, was not acceptable and not within the legal boundaries, then I think it has ground for being banned. Cannibal Holocaust. But if the film was made, yeah, with good, with good practice and everyone was safe and happy and consensual, it doesn't matter what the content of the film is. It could be like the worst thing you could think of. It shouldn't be banned. Because obviously art should just be 
left as it is and be yeah accepted no matter what it is it's more the practice of making it is where we can question the film and is there any argument to say that sometimes art music film having that available particularly if it's you know really bad maybe it's really political i don't know something that could really influence people to commit bad things is that ever a case for banning something or is it, do you find it hard to make that link if you think of a film yeah. to make a link between a film actually being negative to people yeah this is murky territory <laughs> and where i don't have as strong a stance because yeah. obviously a film shouldn't be condoning terrorism or like <laughs> anything like that i don't quite yeah have an argument di- to be fair that's a difficult question it's a very just, like... murky ground because obviously there's a the whole thing with freedom of speech well, obviously, a film shouldn't be banned on its politics, necessarily. But there is a line, and I don't know where to draw that line or who should draw that line. Yeah, it's a difficult one. No, it's really hard. Apologise for asking. That was no, a it's an interesting question. question, but I don't have the answer, unfortunately. There's another thing I can think of as well, which is a Serbian movie, um, yeah. which, I, again, I don't know too much about, but I remember reading up on the fact that there was a baby in this film. Yeah. And... I thought that if you're the parents of that baby in real life and you read the script, but you know, you probably read the script, you probably get an understanding of what the film's about and the way the baby's treated in the film is horrific. Was it an actual baby? Because I know what happens to this baby in the film. It was a, well, it's a real baby that was used in the filming of some of the scenes. Yeah, and then they switched it out to something else. Yes. I don't want to say what happens to this baby because it is quite upsetting, but... But if you're the parents of, of the baby and the baby grows... Because the baby hasn't got consent to be in a film like that. So no. you almost think, how could the parents let the baby be in the film? It's kind of fucked. For money, obviously. Well, I don't know completely, but you'd assume that. Yeah. The whole idea about being consensual to be in a film is very murky territory as well. Because if you've got a disability or you're a child, you obviously can't give full consent. And if you find out it's material that you grow up on wouldn't want to be associated with. Is that happened? Hasn't that happened where a child's actually tried to sue? I mean, I'm thinking of Nirvana now, where the baby on the cover oh, yeah. has sued because they weren't consent. They didn't consent to be on the cover. Hmm. But I can't think of a particularly a film where that's happened, where a, a child actor has gone, well, that was against my consent. I guess as you even become a child, you usually would, that's a positive thing to be involved in the film so I guess you wouldn't necessarily have to be annoyed that you were yeah, in that film yeah again it's yeah very murky territory <laughs> a lot of murky most, territory here <laughs> most child actors kind of are just a product of their parents like their parents wanting that fame and glory and living it through their very talented children and just kind of pushing them like Jake Lloyd who we actually criticised a lot in the worst film episodes who played Anakin in Phantom Menace. I kind of feel bad for bashing him in that <laughs> podcast episode because he was terrible in that film. I later found out he's had a horrible life after that. He suffered horrendous bullying when he was a child and grew up to have like schizophrenia and severe mental health problems because of his experience on that film. So that really shows how messed up it is to kind of like push children who aren't ready for this sort of like work and who probably will have horrible lives afterwards. Like, a lot of Disney child actors have grown up to be, like, drug addicts, have severe mental health problems because of their experiences. Macaulay Culkin seems to be an example of that because he really did struggle. Mm. Um, I heard him on Joe Rogan about four years ago and it sounded like he'd kind of got back to He's, a, a Yeah, come out the other side. 
and he's not really in the limelight anymore. I don't think he's really mm. doing films. But yeah, you're right. When you're thrust into the limelight at such an age, maybe sometimes against your will, because as you said, it was your parents. Which is why I think something like Harry Potter has seemed to have done a very good do- job. And maybe that's because there was a whole group of child actors, particularly yeah. the main three, who've gone on to do some really good things. And particularly Daniel Radcliffe, he seems very switched on. Yeah. Seems very, don't want to say normal, but like grounded in his approach as well. Yeah, I think under Harry Potter films, they did have such a great support team. Like from what I understand and what I've seen in the making of videos... The filmmakers were very supportive of the children and, like, guided them in their personal growth, made sure they had schooling, yeah, and just really helped them. But Daniel Radcliffe has suffered mental health problems as well. I read somewhere that he used to drink far too much, like, on nights out because he got so anxious about it all. So, yeah, even he's struggling. I just... I know I know that's what... It's a tough business, really, and it's not one that kids should really be exposed to. It's too much for them, really. Definitely, it seems like a, an amazing lifestyle to be in. But if you think of like child stars, even like Justin Bieber, like a lot of them have just so many difficulties because you just don't lead a normal life. Oh, where do you? It's hard to avoid it because you need kids in films. We can't just watch films <laughs> and have no kids in them. Like, what about adults dressed up as kids? Uh, you could get a few dwarfs. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that is murky territory. That is very murky. <laughs> <laughs> It's very murky, this subject. Yeah, 100%. Maybe move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, w- one more thing while I remember as well is uh, if we just think of banned films, we can't look any further than Clockwork Orange, which is probably mm. one of the most infamous, infamous ones and something that's quite hard to access. Or not, maybe anymore. not anymore. Not yeah. anymore. Yeah, I mean, you've got that on Blu-ray. I haven't. Oh. I've never seen it. You've never seen Clockwork Orange? No, it's one of the classics I haven't seen. Wow, that is... But you can easily buy it anywhere on Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you don't know too much about... I, I've only seen half an hour and actually had to turn I it off. I know some of the content, yeah. Yeah. What well, was it that bad? It, it was, you know, without spoiling it too much, it was just extremely uncomfortable. Mm. It wasn't too graphic, but oh, what was going on... It was like presented and yeah, like... Yeah, it's, it's horrific. And the tone actually puts you really... Uh, on ease like mm, that's really Kubrick yeah. he just like plays with your anxiety and emotions I haven't felt He's so uncomfortable yeah I mean that reminds me of the only other time I felt that uncomfortable was the human centipede the first one mm. and again don't ask why I've watched it I was probably 17 it's just that sick part of you that it's kind of like tempted like you know it's banned and a bit taboo you just want to see it for yourself yeah I can't really think of films I've seeked out just on that basis necessarily I w- the what's it called the South Korean film the what's it called I Saw the Devil I Saw the Devil yeah I sought that out because I knew it was like pretty graphic and grim and it's a great film but it's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> it scarred me <laughs> you've advised me not to watch that yeah I advise anyone not to watch it oh, unless wow. you've got a sick perverted mind like myself <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely move on from this this topic so our final question for today is what is your favourite animated film? Spirited Away. Yeah. Very, yeah, solid answer for that one. I, yeah, nothing really comes close. Maybe Into the Spider-Verse, Coraline, The Incredibles. They kind of rival it a bit, but Spirited Away is like peak animation, like A-class. Studio Ghibli's best film by Mile, and just a gorgeous, trippy very surreal like watch and yeah I love it why is it so good is it the creativity is it just all like the story I think it's mainly the tone 
more than anything, like the story is pretty inconsequential. It's more the vibe. <laughs> it's got such a like specific vibe. It's just really like weird. Like it's kind of dark and creepy, but also very like fantastical and it's got a very dreamlike quality. Like it plays a lot on dreams and that idea. Like there's that scene where I forgot what the main character's name is, Shihiro. She's like trying to crawl down these very narrow staircases on the edge of a building. And it just feels like one of those anxiety dreams. So it nails that aspect so well. And just all the creative character designs and just the imagination is just incredible. Like, literally every character in the film is interestingly designed and, like, yeah, just amazing. With anime and, and Spider-Verse and Disney and Pixar films, does it feel sometimes that they have they can have that extra added spark because you can do things with animation that you simply can't do Hmm. even with the technology with special effects that we've got you know capturing because i've seen spirited away and it was i think it was a couple of years ago now but capturing some of the things that you can do with that animation and the way the faces look Hmm. is incredible so do you think i mean you yeah you mentioned a few examples there but do you think that's why animated films can be so good yeah i adore animated films and aside from Maybe The Incredibles, uh, Spirited Away into the Spider-Verse and Coraline, the ones I mentioned, I could never see them being straight to, like, live-action, like, remakes. Like, they are so specific to the form of animation. Like, they use the medium to the absolute, like, full of its potential. And, yeah, you can do anything with animation. Like, there's no limits maybe to your budget but like you could literally go to any place in the world have any character any situation any story and that like unlimited potential is just what makes some of the best films of all time like spirited away feels like it's not limited by anything it's just totally an explosion of creativity and imagination and when you're watching animated films do you think you can time stamp them quite accurately what do you mean by that (laughs) i was going to explain that because i saw your face was like so what I mean is like when you watch some films, maybe horrors or, or sci-fi, sometimes it's really hard to timestamp a film. Like say, for example, Star Wars is so ahead of its time that you'd maybe think it was made in the late 90s, early 2000s, if you didn't know. Hmm. When you're watching an animated film, and I don't know too much about the history of animated films, but you can go back to the 50s with Disney. And some of the films are quite similar to 1980s Disney yeah. films. They're very they they're very hard to date, really. Yeah, aside from CG animation, which is why it's probably my least favorite type. So What's an example of that? Pixar films are okay. all CG animated, and obviously I love most of those, but that's mainly because of the story. Like if you go back to Toy Story in '95, that looks pretty terrible by today's standard, and that was just what's that? Twenty-seven years ago. So just like in twenty-seven years, how far we've come in CG animation that looks crap but if we look at 2d animation so like the classic disney films you can go back to snow white in the 30s and that still looks phenomenal so like animation can be timeless it just depends on how you use it like stop motion often looks great with like when you manipulate models and move it frame by frame because it is built into like reality like they are physical things it's hard to date that Whereas when it's on a computer and as we improve technology, we can date that, yeah, quite poorly. So yeah, it depends on which style of animation you choose. 
Yeah, stop motion is absolutely incredible. It mm. blows my mind when I watch it. Makes it makes me feel a bit ill, to be honest. <laughs> I would never attempt to make a film like that. The painstaking like effort is just incredible. Yeah. And yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned like the 30s Disney films because I actually think when you watch some of that, they actually hold up more than some animation of mm. the last five, ten years. And they've got charm to them. Like, you can feel the artistry. That's the main thing with other animation types is you feel the artistry like they're pencil drawn and with stop motion you can sometimes see the fingerprints on the models like it's painstakingly produced by artists with cg animation it's all kind of done on a computer and you don't really feel the artistry as much because they what they do is they kind of put their characters in one position and then the final position and the computer fills in the blanks so that the character moves to like end up in that position so already it's like the computer filling in the blanks and you don't feel like it's made by a person necessarily and finally can you think of any examples of pretty bad animation as of late Hmm. an example would be in the pixar film good dinosaur where you had unbelievable background and then a very clearly animated dinosaur yeah cartoony animation yeah yeah do you mean like bad animated films or bad animation? Either or, where there's been like uh, another example that I think of is um, the mummy with the scorpion king and how terrible he looks in yeah, that's th- that film. CGI, yeah. Yeah. Well, people are saying there's a bit of a CGI like problem at the moment. Like there's been a lot of criticism towards modern day CGI, especially in recent Marvel films. <clears throat> Because it is so overused and the budgets are stretched so thin between thousands of CGI shots and artists working overtime for very little pay. And yeah, some of the modern day CGI is just terrible. So I think we need to kind of move back to more practical effects and integrate them with minimal CGI. I think that's how it's used best. In terms of strictly animated films, can't think of many I've watched recently that are bad because I do only seek out the good ones really <laughs> but yeah a lot of underwhelming ones like i watched spies in disguise by blue sky before they got bought by disney and that was fine just a lot of fine films like pixar hasn't really been impressing me much anymore like turning red and luca they were all kind of all right the see like the animation's beautiful but it's the stories that i come to like it's not really the animation so if the story's not good done i'm not fussed yeah that amazing period of up and mm. films like that and uh coco a bit later on but they had a, a wally they had a really good spell didn't they mm. so it's hard to keep up that yeah output. at least they're making original films again <laughs> not <laughs> cars too i watched that recently That's terrible so bad <laughs> it's terrible is it so bad it's good no it's just straight up boring and crap yeah Great. Well, let's hope this episode is not like Cars 2. Thanks very much for coming on again. It was a pleasure to do our first filmed episode after over 100 episodes. This is the first filmed episode. Nice. So I think that guy just thought I was really nice. <laughs> yeah, we aren't in the most private area, I have to say. But I know, I've got massive glass windows, so everyone's just staring at us. Yeah, it feels like everyone's watching us. A live audience. A live audience, yes. And one at home. See yeah. you next time. See you next time.